0: So the Hebrew writer tells us to fix our eyes on Jesus. So when you're facing challenges, when things are overwhelming, when there are situations that have you all wigged out, when there is a pandemic, we take our eyes off those things which so grab our attention and we're to fix our eyes on Jesus. And by doing so, the Hebrew writer says that we won't grow weary or lose heart. So we're starting a new series um, today, and my goodness, is it is pertinent today more than perhaps any other day that we can uh, all are experiencing some type of uh, anxiety over what we're experiencing now. But we can hear right from Scripture um, the mandate to uh, fixate, to fix our eyes on Jesus. Um, we're going to be using um, Hebrews chapter 12 verses 1 through 3 as our guide here. And I would encourage you go ahead and find that. That's going to be a cornerstone for us. Um, if you have like one of the blue and black Bibles in front of you, that's on page 1,213. 1,213. But Hebrews uh, chapter 12 verses 1 through 3. That's going to be our primary guide. And Then we're going to explore um, elsewhere. Um, along with that. So we're to, this passage says to fix your eyes on Jesus. It says to throw off all the weight that hinders. It, it says to run the race. It says to encourage each other. And that is also a perfect scripture for cross-country running. Um, my youngest son, Doug, um, Lori and I saw him get really excited and involved in cross-country running and fifth or sixth grade and got really serious about it and was very very effective. He did a great job over seven years of cross-country running. But in fact, I know down at Houghton College, these verses of Hebrews 12, 1 through 3, are, are, the, are the verses for the cross-country team. Um, when you When you talk about um, fixing, fixing your eyes in cross-country. It's fix your eyes on the finish line. It's your, all your preparation and even throughout the race you're doing things in order to get to the finish line. And this throwing off all the weight. Well, have you ever seen a cross-country runner? First off, they're really skinny. They have no weight. Um, two, um, they run in virtually weightless clothing. I remember my son's very last race. It was in 38 degrees and snow, and all he had on were these little tiny short shorts (laughs) and a little sliver of nylon. They throw off all the weight. They run the race and they run it with vigor. And and throughout it, there's encouragement that's constantly going on. It's one of the cool things of cross country is our courses being lined with people and cowbells and stuff, um, just encouraging throughout it. So. I just love this this uh, connection that we'll have today, um, and I told him I'd be uh, chatting about. It. I I didn't want to show any pictures of him in his short shorts, but um. so pastoral conversations. Um, I every pastor has various conversations with people all the time, um, and they're pastoral in nature, and they. Um, they're everywhere. I mean, they're in my office. I, I often meet with people in the front room. They're in here. They're out in the lobby. But they're also they're in the grocery store. They're in the neighborhood. They're on the street corner. They're at an event where people want to just chat with you about something really important in their life. Um, And I was thinking about that, that in essence, if I were to boil down the hundreds of pastoral kind of conversations that I might have each year, I almost say the same thing in all of them. What would that be? What do you think it would be that I would kind of, in every situation, it would kind of come back to a similar singular point? I mean, the conversations are with people with anxiety, they're people that have had a horrible diagnosis, they're with people that have marital stress, they're with people that have anxiety, they're with people that have experienced death, they're with people that are crippled by their past and all sorts of things. But I, when I'm thinking about it I, I think I tend to kind of, all of those conversations could be boiled down into just a few words. I, I saw a few weeks ago Pastor Kyle Eidelman was um, trying to explain um, the, the kind of people that the people look for when they come to a pastor and want to talk. Um, and he expressed them as two different people. And, 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 and the, the first person is that I think many people want, when they're having a pastoral conversation with some pastor, they want Mr. Rogers. That's, that's what they want. That's what many are just looking for. They're, they're looking for someone who's going to say, I'm so sorry, and be so sweet, and be so nice, and so compassionate. You know, life is hard. Everything will be okay. Why don't you just take a break? And, and, and that's natural. Many of us are looking for a Mr. Rogers. We, we really are, are looking... Um, and longing for comfort when things are really challenging. So if you're looking at the extremes, if you're looking at, at the kinds of conversations that I have, I think some people, most people are looking for comfort. But they really need William Wallace. They need Braveheart to talk to them. Some of you are like, where is he going now? Because Mr. Rogers is the greatest human being alive. I get it. I mean, we want comfort, but what we really need for most of us, most of the time, is we need a strong voice. We, We need someone to say, don't quit. Don't give up. We need to hear William Wallace bellowing. It's time to get in the game. It's time to fight the fight. Don't give up. Run the race. Keep going. I know it's hard, and I know you're tired, and and, and I know you don't think you can keep going, but you can. With God's help and with God's power, you can fight another day. Now, I don't have the blue paint, and I won't ever do that, but I think that um, that's, that's a little bit more of what would boil down to a lot of the conversations that I have. There's nothing against Mr. Rogers. Believe me, I love Mr. Rogers. And I finally got to see the movie on him a few weeks ago. I thought it was great. And he's great. We all need a little bit of comfort. We all need every once in a while someone to come along, put their arm around us and say, okay, why don't you just take a time out? Why don't you just sit? Why don't you just relax? Why don't you get out of the game and just chill out for a little bit? Why don't you recover? And and I get that. But most of us, most of the time, need something much stronger than that. Um, We need someone with conviction to encourage help us stay in the game that you can do this you're not going to do this by yourself and you're not going to do this in your own strength but by God and his strength you can do this so so this series is is really timely because every one of us have stuff going on right now and the world is just changing so rapidly this is a time for us to hear the reminder from the Hebrew writer to fix our eyes on Jesus. And we're going to spend some time um, doing that um, over the next several weeks. That we're not going to do this in our own strength, but Jesus will guide us. And we are going to run the race, and we'll do so building faith that perseveres. Now, the reality is, many of us have another voice. In our head right we we have this this voice that really distracts us the voice of the enemy telling you hey you'll never make it you're gonna get sick uh, you'll never add up to anything you should just let go right now you'll never change in fact you deserve this And that's a voice that has to be beaten down and it can only be beaten down by the king of kings who's already fought the battle for you. You see, when you're feeling um, like this and the enemy gets at you like that, you're feeling like you, you, um, you want someone to feel sorry for you. And, and, and you might even get upset when the person you want to feel sorry for you doesn't. And what you really want is you want to grab them and pull them down into the mud with you to roll around in the muck and the mire. But instead, as uh, Pastor Kyle Eilman would say, instead, what we need more often than comfort is courage. What we need more than sympathy is strength. Does that make sense? So as you read through the New Testament, it's, that, 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 that point is all throughout it. And it's particularly a tone here in the book of Hebrews that we're going to look at today. Um, Hebrews speaks of courage to the discouraged. Hebrews is really a bunch of suck-it-up speech. Um, and I love it for that. that. That there's a time to rest. And when it's over, that's, that's when it's time. But not now. Don't give up. It's, and I think it's a message that we all need from time to time, and that's a message we need now, for sure. And yeah, we need some comfort, for, no doubt, but not as often as we think. So let's dig into this message, um, and, and and let's as we do that, let's kind of understand what encouragement really is all about. Because most of us think encouragement is Mr. Rogers, and I'm here to tell you today that encouragement is more like William Wallace and Braveheart. If we take the word encouragement, the way we commonly use that word encouragement is more like words that are spoken to make someone feel better. Isn't that pretty much how we use the word encouragement? But the reality is the word encourage means to fill someone with courage. To fill them with strength. I mean, that's what it really means. So let's, let's, let's stay focused on this. Um, so, really, more accurately speaking, we want to talk about speaking words that would fill a soul with courage. So, that's what we want to do throughout this series. And here's the passage that we're going to focus on, okay? Hebrews chapter 12. Verses 1 through 3. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross scorning at shame and he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart so the implication here is that for these readers who would that, that this was written to initially that they were growing tired and and if they weren't they were eventually going to fade And so these are really encouraging words. They were discouraged, and they were tired and weary. And and when they get to that point, this is what they need to do, fix their eyes on Jesus. So let's look at this. The first thing that he talks about here is he's really talking about witnesses. He's saying, remember these witnesses. And we're talking about people um, or a person, even think in your own past, who has the power alone to fill you with courage. Let's examine it. Let's break it down. Um, uh, 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 Sam, can you go back one slide to the first verse there? Very first verse. There you go. It says, therefore, right there. Thanks, Sam. Um, The word therefore, uh, Pastor George Davis always would remind us when you see it, you have to say, what is it therefore? Okay? Therefore is an important word. It's alluding to what I talked about last week. Do you remember, anyone? We talked about um, the, the preceding chapter. We talked about some of the witnesses that are in chapter 11. And so this verse is moving us back to this remarkable listing of people in Scripture that had already run the race and had been um, explained and detailed throughout Scripture. So it's pointing us back to these people that kept the faith. And then it says that these people are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. Let's talk about cloud of witnesses. The Greek word for cloud, basically there are two that are out there. One of them um, describes a distinctly outlined shape of a cloud in a sky very literal, specific image of a, of a cloud that you might see in the sky. But there's another word to describe cloud. And it's the word that is used here, in, the Greek word that is used here. And it's a word that describes something that's all-encompassing. Think like a fog. How a fog would descend and, 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 it's, and it's everywhere. And it's a surrounding kind of cloud mass. That's the Greek word that's being used here for cloud. We're surrounded by it. And this actual Greek word is one that was used to describe, really, a great crowd of people. Okay? Like going to Disney and just being surrounded and engulfed in in all these people all over you. So, what the writer is saying here is that when you grow weary, when you get discouraged, when you get tired, remember that you're surrounded, you're engulfed by a tremendous cloud. You can't see them, but they can see you. And these are people that have gone before you and are witnesses. So let's look at that next word, witness. I want to express that I think we can look at this word witness two different ways. One would be thinking of someone who sees something. A witness is someone who sees something um, some think that this word means that these are witnesses that have gone before us and now they're in heaven and they're watching us run the race okay now I think I've already told you before I struggle with that concept um, um, because my understanding of, of, of heaven is that there is no struggle, there is no hardship, there is no pain, and so I just struggle with the, these witnesses or my parents looking down and seeing all this struggle and pain and nastiness. I just struggle with that. Now, some theologians would express it this way. They would say that the joy of heaven's not based in, in an ignorance like that. They would say that, in other words, it's not based on the temporary pain and the hardship, but the joy of heaven is this eternal, it's rooted in the eternal nature of God in heaven. So if they were to look down, they would not see the trouble or hardship. They'd be living in this expression of eternal joy, so they wouldn't see it. They would see it differently than you and I see trouble, hardship, or pain. So, If that's the case, there are millions upon millions upon millions of eyes watching us run the race. People who've been martyred for Christ, the people that have have lived their faith for for Christ they're watching, They've, they've run the race with perseverance and now they're watching us. And that certainly can be inspirational. I mean, I think of my son, and running in cross-country, it is inspirational to have people that have done it before you to encourage you along the way. No doubt. And when you're tired and, and you're about to give up and, and, and you think about this image of people that have gone before you, it motivates you to like pick yourself up and keep going. So that's, I think, a main reason why this exact passage starts in verse 1 um, of chapter twelve, uh, in the in the um, message uh, paraphrase, it says it this way: Do you see what this means? All these pioneers who blazed the way, all these veterans cheering us on. Now, if you go back to the the old Living Bible, it actually uses the word grandstand, and and you may. Think, you may picture in your mind's eye this grandstand packed with people, these witnesses cheering you and I on. So that's this idea of the word witness being someone who sees something. But i like you to also consider that we could look at the word witness as someone who says something, like a witness in a trial, right? a witness unseen this is what I saw this is what I know and so maybe these witnesses are telling us something maybe they're hollering they're speaking they're calling out to us saying something so what could they be saying if that's true what what would they be saying now I kind of like and choose this view over the previous view, because in chapter 11, that word witness is used five times to speak something, to say something. We see in the previous chapter in verse 4 of 11, um, he's talking about Cain and Abel and what happened there, and, and and the writer of Hebrew says, and by faith Abel still speaks even though he is dead. That's the verb that's used here, that Abel is speaking. He's not witnessing to seeing something. He's witnessing to say something. So he has something to tell us. What, What could it be? What are the witnesses saying to us? So I would encourage you today, and I even encouraged you last week to read this chapter 11, but I would encourage you today, read all of chapter 11 and read about these witnesses, but read them with, the, with your mindset on what are they saying to me, Lord? Let's look at a few. In verse 7 of chapter 11 now, we're, we're talking about Noah. Um, by faith, Noah warned about things not seen. In holy fear, he built an ark to save his family. By his faith, he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness that is in keeping with faith. So, Noah... We know about Noah and the ark, right? Many of us, most of us. How long do you think it took him to build that ark? 120 years. Now, some of you have some home remodel projects that feel like they're at the 120-year mark. <laughs> I get that. When is that bathroom ever going to be finished? <laughs> well, it's functional. We can use it. It's just not Finished. I get that. I've been there. Um, so, I mean, have you read this before and understood what it means when it says God warned him about things he hadn't seen yet? Noah was building an ark, which, what's a boat? Why would you need a boat? Because Noah had never seen rain. Wait, it's going to rain constantly? 40 days, 40 nights? What are you talking about? Wait, you want me to get all the animals? You need to build this how big? And the people all around are just beating him up over how foolish he looks? So what would Noah say to us? What could he be saying to us? I think Noah would say something like, I know you're tired. I know the progress isn't as fast as you want it to be. But God is faithful. The rain he said would come, which I didn't even know what it looked like, but it came. And it came just like he said it would come. And we were saved, just as he said. Now this thing with Noah and the time frame, 120 years, I I think that relates to all of us. We all have this problem with our calendars, with our timing. We have our timing on how things should go. And we have God's timing. And these two are, it's a challenge regularly, isn't it? I think about back in the 90s, I'm a tech, kind of a tech guy, and I had my favorite piece of technology even to this day, and I'm still saving it because I can't bear to throw it away even though it's worthless. It was a Palm Pilot. All right? And it was a, titanium palm pilot. It had a little slide out, and it had a nice little leather case, and I just thought I was so cool with it. I love that thing. And a little stylus. I could write my notes and use, largely used it to keep my calendar. Loved it. Thought I was the coolest thing in the world. But you would make an appointment, and, and it was still kind of worthless unless you plugged it in on a syncing device on your desk that it would then sync that calendar with your computer's calendar, which is really what's running your life. Well, I can't think of how many different times I didn't sync in time, or the sync didn't work, or I was late for an appointment that I didn't know I had, or whatever it was, because our calendars weren't synced. And isn't that the case? Just like it is with God's calendar and our calendar. And we need to be more vigilant to sync our life and our calendar, to submit it to his timing. So Noah might say to us that I know things don't look like they're happening the way you want them, but just keep going. Keep plugging away. The rain will come. Just stay Faithful. There's another witness that's talking to us. Verse 8, we see this story about Abraham obeying God, calling him to leave his home to another land. But it says that God sends him out, but he went without knowing where he was going. Verse 8, he went without knowing where he was going. God tells him to go go discover this land I have for you. I mean, th- go. The only problem was God didn't give him a direction. He had to make a decision to begin to, to take that first step and to allow God to lead as he took that first step. That he would trust God, that he would have faith in God to guide and lead him in that step. And so. Abraham leaves without knowing where he's going. And you had faith that God would guide. And some of you are in that place right now. You have a sense that God has you heading in a direction. You just don't know exactly what direction it is, or where you're going, or or what the end of that direction looks like. And right now he's not telling you either. And that causes so much anxiety that you start you begin to lose faith to head in the direction you think he's calling. So what's Abraham going to say to you? I think Abraham's going to say something like, if, you, if you've heard his voice, if you think you've heard his voice leading you in a direction, believe it, that, that it, it's his, his will. Have it tested with others in your life. But then go by faith, trusting that he'll guide you if that's where he wants you to go. Take that first step, not as a test, for God, but as a demonstration of your trust in God. What's another witness saying to us? Um, There's Abraham's wife, Sarah. Verse 11. Verse 11 talks about Sarah, uh, by faith, that she was going to have a child, though she was barren and she was too old, and she believed that God would keep his promise. She finds out that she's supposed to have a kid. Yet she is like really old. She knows she's barren. She's too old for this. In fact, the writer of Hebrews says, "And your husband uh, him he's as good as dead." <laughs> and yet God says you're going to have a child. Yet Sarah believed. She believed that God would keep his promise. And it didn't it certainly didn't make sense on paper. And it must have seemed impossible to her, but God said it. And what God says he'll do, he'll do. So Sarah might be saying to us right now, be faithful. Be faithful even when you don't know how. Be faithful even when you don't know when. Be faithful. To go to the place God's called you to go. You know, too often we have this fear of the future and that's certainly paralyzing our world right now. A fear of the future. We can't see how this is going to end. Last week we thought we had a handle on it and this week we think we have a handle on it and it's just going to keep changing and we don't know how it's going to end and we don't understand it and we don't we don't know if, if, if what he's calling us to do is possible. And so we allow the fear to paralyze us on whatever it is. And so, the beginning of this chapter of, by faith, these people, these witnesses did something, we see verse 1 of chapter 11 reminds us that faith shows the reality of what we hope for. It's the evidence of, of things we cannot see. And then he moves into this explanation of these witnesses, that what they've done by faith. So what do we do? We keep moving. We don't allow fear to paralyze us and keep us from what he's called us to do. Now, some of you may have heard of this. Most maybe haven't, unless you watch a lot of the Olympics. Within the world of skiing, there are a lot of different... um, um, different types of skiing, and there's one called the Super G, Super G Downhill. It's a, it's a form of skiing that's different than some of the others in that you only get to run that race once, ski that race once. And most often in the competition is, is with a country or a team that each team or country will have two representatives, two skiers, and they would usually have the better skier go second. And and here's why. The first person going down the hill for the team is just figuring the course out because they haven't seen the course. That's part of the nature of the the, the challenge is to be able to react to what you see at high speed. And you know what the first skier does when he gets to the bottom of the hill? He gets on the radio and he calls back up to his teammates. He says, hey, you know that spot where we were thinking it would go left? Well, it actually went right. You know that spot where we thought it was icy? Well, it wasn't. It was like really soft snow. And, and, and this, this idea of calling back and, and giving them an idea of what the course actually looked like is, I think, similar to what these witnesses are doing for us. They're calling to us. They're saying, oh, that turn, that, that's sharper than you think. That ice? That snow, it's actually icy and is much slipperier than you kind of thought. And, 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 and they're letting us know what the course, that we're, the race we're running, looks like. They're letting us know that the God that got them to the bottom is the same God who we serve. Isn't that cool? So, as we kind of wrap up here, there's just a couple more witnesses I want to share with you. Number or verse 22 is, um, is Joseph. Now some of you are familiar with Joseph's life. He had a dream in the way his life would go. But he falls victim to his brother's cunning. He, he, he's thrown into slavery. He's thrown into prison for a crime he didn't commit. And yet throughout his life, he's continuing to demonstrate faithfulness. And so the Hebrew writer lists him in this hall of faith. He's listing him to us because he's demonstrating faith and not feeling sorry for himself and all that he had come up against, which was so opposite the dream that he had for his life. So as I think about that, I think about this. One of the things that these witnesses provide for us is its perspective. They give us perspective. We think we're being tempted, we think we're the only one to experience this, we're the only one going through this stuff, and we realize we're not the first person going through this stuff. We're not the first person dealing with it this way. I mean, you welcome to my world this week. For the longest times of this week, I'm like, oh... This is so stressful trying to figure out what are we going to do? What are we going to do tomorrow? Then it changes. What are we going to do the next day? And it's like all on me and our church. And then you stop back and sit back and you realize every pastor in the world is struggling with the same stuff I'm struggling with this week. Ah, perspective. I mean, think about it. We have pastors in our own congregate, in our own denomination who have been stoned, They've survived, but they've, 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 they've experienced stoning for leading their churches. Now, what if I were to hang out with one of them, and, and, and we, because of perspective, I would be really dumb to say, well, you know what? This week, I had a really hurtful, um, destructive, discouraging email sent to me. And he's going to go, huh? What? You had an electronic correspondence sent to you that wasn't very nice? Here, let me show you some scars here. You know, the perspective makes an enormous amount of difference, doesn't it? I think that's what we see here. Um, we, we get too caught up in victim mentality, don't we? We all need perspective, and these witnesses provide it for us. So Joseph, what might Joseph be saying to us, particularly those of us that kind of live in this victim mentality world? He might be saying, just stop it. I know what happened to you wasn't right. I know what happened to you wasn't fair. Joseph may be calling out to you saying, I know what you're going through, and it it hurts a lot. I, I get that. But what has happened has already happened. This is not the time to throw up your hands and quit. Your story is still being written. What others meant for evil, God meant for good in your life. And you might not see it now, and you may not understand it, but I think Joseph would be hollering out to us right now, but have faith and don't give up. And a last person I want to highlight. Her name is Rahab. Rahab was a prostitute. And you're like, wow, how did Scripture come full circle like this? She was a prostitute that God used to literally save some lives. And so what would Rahab say to you today? She might say, I know you feel bad. I know you feel weighed down by your past. I know you've made a lot of mistakes in your life, but Rahab may be calling out to you right now saying, I I know you're ashamed of some parts in your history, but who you are now is not who you were. Rahab's calling out saying, God is giving you a new purpose. God's giving you new meaning. And she's saying to you, don't give up. Have faith. Keep going. So the witnesses are speaking to us today. There are many more witnesses in chapter 11, and I encourage you, read them. Read them with an understanding of what might they be saying to us. But if I could, as we close, consider what they might collectively be saying to us all in one voice, sitting in that great grandstand, cheering us on, what what are the collective words they might be saying? I think quite obviously they'd be saying stuff like, don't give up. Keep the faith. Now it's your turn. Let's bow our heads. Father, we, um, we thank you for this remarkable passage of Scripture. We thank you for its reminder for us and its impact in our life. We ask that you would um, go with us now in a way that uh, would, we can turn the soil of this Scripture over and over in our life. And we can use it this week to reveal the places that you would have us go, the, the faith that you are calling us to live. God, go with us and and help us to allow this passage to just seep into our minds and and, and hear the witnesses calling us as we live in this troubled moment. We're all troubled in many different ways, but we're kind of united in one of them. And so, Lord, we look to you to fix our eyes as we move through this challenging time. We pray in your name. Amen.